must constantly look at things in a different way. The Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast was created by two physical therapists out of the desire to learn more about the different educational roles in physical therapy and healthcare and how healthcare education works by talking with educational leaders and people with different perspectives within physical therapy and across interdisciplinary lines on how education can be improved to disrupt the status quo of healthcare education. This is our journey and thanks for listening. Are you a third-year physical therapy student that excels on tests when you have study guides, checklists, and deadlines? With all of the information available about how to prepare for the NPTE, it's easy to get disorganized and not feel prepared going into the big day. NPTE Prep Success is an online course that provides PT students easy-to-use study guides and step-by-step guidance through the NPTE preparation. To learn more, visit kylericeprep.com. Thank you again all for your continued support, and now for the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Wyrock, and I'm joined today by two of my mentors from where I went to physical therapy school, Dr. Gammon Earhart and Dr. Steve Ambler. Uh, Dr. Gammon Earhart is the director of the program in physical therapy and Professor of Physical Therapy, Neurology, and Neuroscience at Washington University in St. Louis. And Dr. Ambler is the Associate Director of Professional Curriculum in Physical Therapy and the Associate Professor of Physical Therapy and Orthopedic Surgery at Washington University in St. Louis as well. And we have them on our podcast today to talk a little bit about um, uh, competency-based learning. So WashU is transitioning into a competency-based curriculum. This is a really hot topic that we heard a lot about at the Educational Leadership Conference in Bellevue, Washington earlier this year. And um, one of our podcast co-hosts, Brandon Poen, did attend that. So we've been wanting to get some experts on to talk a little bit more about this. So thanks for joining us, Gammon and Steve. It's good to see you again. It's great to be here. Thanks for having us. So tell us a little bit, before we get started and talking about competency-based curriculums, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are today. And we'll start with you, Gannon. Well, as you said, I'm the director of the physical therapy program here at WashU in St. Louis, and I've been in this role for five years, but I've been at Washington University as a faculty member for 15 years. I actually did my uh, physical therapy training at Arcadia University and then a PhD in movement science here at WashU and left to do a postdoc, uh, didn't expect to come back, but uh, when I was looking for faculty positions, the opportunities and support here were unparalleled, so I did come back and have had really a wonderful chance to grow in place here and evolve and take on new responsibilities and new leadership roles, and so that's been a real blessing. And how about you, Steve? Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are today. Sure. Well, uh, I actually did my DPT here about 15 years ago, um, and then I spent uh, about five years in practice out in Phoenix, Arizona, um, and got really involved in the professional association uh, during my time out there as well. Um, and then I went to Florida and joined the faculty at University of South Florida, and I was on the faculty there for about eight years. And also during that time, I went back and got my Uh, master's in public health and my PhD in higher education. And so those 
that's probably what uh, brought me back here. So my interest in education combined with my interest in physical therapy uh, sort of brought me back to this role here now working uh, for our DPT curriculum. So it sounds like you both have had some transitions in your career that have put you in a place where you are able to take the charge and transition Washington University's curriculum into a competency-based curriculum. So Gammon, tell us a little bit about your transition to a program director. Did you envision yourself as a leader in a PT program and kind of what led to your interest in this position? This was not in my plans in any way, I would say. When I started off here as an assistant professor, I was really focused on research. Almost exclusively, I did a little bit of teaching, teaching the neuroscience course within our DPT curriculum, but was really focused on getting a lab up and running, doing what it took to get tenure. And then once I reached that milestone, I stepped back and thought, oh, okay, now what? You know, I always had that as the goal, and now that was met, what should I do next, and how could I contribute in new and different ways? And so I had the opportunity to become the leader of our PhD program in movement science, and that was really my first administrative role beyond just our lab group. And I was pleasantly surprised at how much I enjoyed it, and I particularly appreciated the interaction with the variety of stakeholders, including trainees in various labs, as well as their faculty mentors, and having an opportunity to provide the support and the resources that those people needed to succeed and living vicariously through their successes. So when the opportunity arose to apply for the role as director of the program, knowing that I did enjoy the administrative piece quite a bit was kind of the evidence I needed to throw my hat in the ring and see what happened. And it's, it's been a really wonderful position. It's much a much bigger job than I realized. Um, and so I have a lot more interactions with even more stakeholders across all aspects of our mission. So education, practice, and research. And I really love it. I would take the job again in a heartbeat. We have a lot of, um, well, a lot of our audience members are academics and many of them have expressed interest in someday pursuing a career as maybe a program director. What advice do you have to other academic, academics or healthcare providers who may be interested in a position like the one that you hold currently as program director? I think if there's an opportunity to get your feet wet with a smaller role that involves administration and leadership, that's a good way to get a sense for whether or not you actually like that type of work. And then I think there's uh, no substitute for formal leadership training. So I've had an opportunity to do a few different programs. The one that I would recommend most is the ELI, Education Leadership Institute program offered through APTA. So it's a year-long fellowship program that has a lot of excellent information about leadership in general, but also some information very specific to physical therapy and that positions people well to step into these types of roles. Wonderful. Well, I think that our, that our uh, listeners will definitely appreciate that advice. Steve, tell us about your transition. You, tra you transitioned out of University of South Florida into a new role at Washington University in St. Louis after being out of WashU in St. Louis for many, many years. Did you envision yourself having this position in the, in the past? What led to your interest in the position? Um, I don't know. I, I guess whether I envisioned it depends on how far back I look. 
Um, but certainly not, you know, when I, when I was leaving school with my DPT, uh, no, I didn't envision this. Um, I really, it wasn't until I had gone back, you know, and studied sort of this interaction between public health and education, as oddly as that might sound, um, but where I really got interested in how we design these DPT curriculums um, and how we sort of think about those things related to societal need and uh, you know the health needs in our society specifically. And so, and I was working and treating patients and teaching and I got more and more interested in sort of how you try to fit all of these parts together to, uh, to build a curriculum that's, that's focused on sort of these bigger goals. So I, um, I also think that this position, in my opinion, it's quite unique. So um, I wouldn't have envisioned, I was interested in a leadership role to be able to influence curriculum and DPT education. But a lot of those roles are either you're taking the program director position um, or you're maybe chairing a curriculum committee. There's not a lot of roles that, it, that fit in between, or at least I view this as sort of in between that, where you have time to really not only focus on all of the day-to-day, -day, which there's quite a bit of that uh, operation of the curriculum, but also be thinking about and trying to shape the future of what those look like. So I wouldn't have envisioned it, quite frankly, because I don't think too many of these exist. So is this um, a role that is pretty unique to WashU, this curriculum role, uh, this directorship of the curriculum? A few other larger programs have similar roles. Um, and they might have different titles. You know, there's sometimes there's different, there's different academic structures on where the PT programs sit. Um, but a few of the other larger ones have something similar, but I would say it's fairly rare in, in my opinion, looking back through. So then what advice would you have to other academics or healthcare providers who may be interested in a position similar to what you hold, focusing specifically on this curricular, having this curricular focus and having a more formal sh leadership role versus just chairing a committee or being a program director? Well, I think you have to look for a uh, program that has committed the support to a role like that. And so do they have a structure that supports this type of role? Um, my, you know, I feel very lucky that I think a lot of people get into these roles because they're good at their job, they're a good educator, they're a good researcher, um, but their area of expertise might be related to an area of practice. Most of, a, most of us come up through the academic physical therapy world through some area of expertise in practice or research. But my scholarship and research interests are in education. So I feel quite lucky that the scholarship time feels directly related to my administrative time, if that makes sense. And so it's very important to me, I guess when I would, if I was giving advice to someone that they realize that there is support in place to not only do the administrative work, but to do the scholarly work related to it. And so you have to look for that. You have to look for 
where there's going to be effort allocated to these kinds of activities and it's not just an add-on service role um, or otherwise I don't think you have the time to really do those things I mentioned earlier. So let's talk a little bit about um, the competency-based curriculum that you guys are developing at WashU. I think that both of you have talked about your roles in the program and kind of how you have established yourselves as leaders to make this transition happen. So first, tell us what, define a competency-based curriculum for us. What is it? <laughs> I think it depends on who you read. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I think it's important to recognize that competency-based education is not new. It's been around for a long time and it exists in different forms if you look across the different types of education, adult education, vocational education, you know, there are lots of uh, competency-based models. In general, I would say, um, and what I think fits well with physical therapy and many of the health professions is, it's an outcomes-based model um, that involves broadly thinking of backwards design, which is nothing new to physical therapy education. Um, so if you think of we, our end in mind and what do we want, what are the outcomes and goals we have, and then build backwards to develop a curriculum to achieve them. One of the big, one of the differences probably with a competency-based approach is the curriculum is a little bit secondary to, so you have what people need to be competent in, um, and that is guided by outward factors, by hopefully mostly by societal need, the needs of our patients, the feedback from our current practitioners. And that then influences how the curriculum changes. Not the other way around where a group of faculty decide a curriculum based on some standards, because of course we have accreditation standards, and also then interest, um, and then work towards those outcomes. So it feels, it feels very uh, familiar to me when I think of physical therapy education. I think the approach allows some standardization on what end goal people are working to. Some, every program has program goals, curricular goals. The extent to which those are similar um, across the profession is hard to figure out. And then the weight that we give to the different outcomes we're required to achieve, like CAPTI standards or licensure board pass rates. Um, those are some things we can use to standardize, but I don't think if you listen to our profession that those are the only things that we aspire to. So I think a competency-based approach that's constantly evolving based on societal need establishes those end goals for the entire profession. There are some differences within the curriculum as well related to assessment, the learning environment, and those kinds of things that I also think are actually more important distinctions and, and get at more differences between what we're doing now in physical therapy education than the actual sort of outcomes-based approach. And what are those? So one of the, two of the big differences I think are a competency-based approach is a shift towards a more learner-centered environment. Um, it's also a shift away from traditional course structure 
And so it's a focus on abilities beyond just knowledge. And it's, it's organizing those abilities in a way that one can't be sacrificed for the other. In other words, you cannot decide to do better in one area of science in a course and do worse in another and just pass the course and that be okay. Or do better in one area of the curriculum and do worse in another like professionalism and still make it through. So a competency-based approach, once things are a domain and then a competency, it has equal weight. So your professional formation or professionalism, if that's a competency or domain in, in our case, it has equal weight to patient care or knowledge for practice or some of the things that I think if, if we get an honest answer from our students, they're spending most of their time on things in a rational way, things that are set up as a higher stakes. So if you know as a learner that if you fail a, an important science course, you could be removed from the curriculum or decelerated versus if you do poorly on, a, on an assignment related to professionalism and it's probably not going to hold you back in the program, where are you going to rationally spend most of your time? And so I think equal, the competency-based approach allows you to even those things out. Courses become less important and a build towards each competency is what the learner is then focused on. I think you make a, an interesting point um, and something that as a clinical instructor and as a former student, obviously, that I you know, remember about PT school and that I see in students nowadays is you know, there is so much focus on like how do you like just learning to be a physical therapist and just learning, um, you know, what are the kinematics? What is the anatomy that those professional courses, you just throw them to the wayside and it's like a, t a course that you can study during or something like that. And I, and as a physical therapist and as a clinical instructor, I feel like it's a lot easier to teach skills but it's a lot more difficult to teach those professional behaviors. And I really, as a clinical instructor, have to set that expectation right away, saying, you know, this is how I expect you to dress. This is how I expect you to act. This is how I, what I expect your professional involvement to be at. And if you meet these criteria, you're going to be doing, doing well, you know, because skill is always easier to teach. Gammon, is there anything that you want to add? I mean, Steve did a beautiful job defining competency-based learning, but maybe from a program director's perspective, is there anything else that you want to add to that? I'll just say that our hope is that by moving to a competency-based model, we're going to enable students to have greater flexibility in how they consume information so they won't have to be sitting in a classroom from 8.30 to 4.30, four or five days a week, but rather able to structure things in a way that suits their learning style. And obviously, you know, there will be a certain amount of structure to the curriculum, but hopefully some more flexibility built in where if someone already is competent in one area, they could spend more time focusing on something else where they're not as strong and also have better work-life or school-life balance in terms of, you know, having chunks of time where they can do other things like go to a doctor's appointment or what have you things that have to be done during normal business hours that right now you might have to try to squeeze in during lunch 
It's almost sounds like a type of curriculum that is a millennial's dream with flexibility. <laughs> yeah. uh, tell us a little bit about, uh, just briefly about the current uh, or pre-competency-based curriculum that Washington University has. So what is this new curriculum gonna be replacing? Well, uh, you know, our curriculum is a, uh, it's been the DPT since we graduated our first DPT class in 2004. And I graduated in 2005, so I was the second DPT class. And our, our structure is, is that, is what we developed for the DPT. It's a three-year program. Um, so that has stayed in place, you know, over the, since we moved to the DPT. Uh, of course, the content is not. You know, we have, we have experts. We have a broad faculty here with expertise in a lot of areas. So they're constantly updating content. Uh, as as every program does within our structure. So we're always on the cutting edge of education, research, practice as it relates to the DPT. Um, and it's a, you know, we also have one of the things that uh, that I think is really important about our current curriculum that will continue in the new curriculum is this weaving of situated learning or authentic practice or clinical education, uh, integrated clinical, whatever you want to call it. We have from about week three, we have the students in clinics getting real experience and then bringing that back to the classroom. And then our clinical education, our formal clinical education structure is also set up that way, where you're in here in the program out on clinical back to the program and that continues throughout the entire uh, DPT curriculum and that will continue because we well we know that deeper learning requires authentic experience authentic practice and then the ability to reflect on that and learn from those experiences and so it's it's probably the first thing we hear from the students of as far as what they love and what they say, don't ever get rid of this. And so we've, we've really listened to that. Um, and so I like to highlight that about the curriculum. But otherwise, I think it's fairly, you know, if you think of the DPT when that happened, the three-year program, um, we do have four, uh, currently four clinical education experiences, which might be um, different than some programs, but I don't think it's all that unique. So you guys are making this transition into competency-based curriculum. You gave us a little bit of an overview of what you're doing now, kind of what the future of the curriculum looks like. Tell us a little bit about the process of this transition. If there's anything that people don't like, it's change typically. So to give us a, what types of discussions or description of, what are the description of the discussions that you had to have with different stakeholders for this? What is the vision of your transition and why did you guys decide to do this curricular model? I think that uh, there's a number of things there. So if I don't answer it all, ask it again. <laughs> uh, because I want to talk about who we've involved and who we will continue to involve in the process. Uh, I'll just say broad involvement. Uh, we believe is really important uh, across a number of different stakeholders and um, balancing that with how to do it um, to still be able to get it done in a timely fashion can be a challenge. 
um, especially for a large program. I think, you know, we took, we developed a vision for this around some of the things that sort of around our strength. You know, we're very focused on movement um, and we're based sort of centered around the movement system. And so we already are together on sort of this broad vision of the future of practice. Um, and so the curriculum, in my view, the curriculum is a, is a tool to change and develop practice. And so we've also then broadened this to look at what are the biggest needs in society right now? And what are the needs and pressures in practice and education? So there are many things going on right now at once. There's, there's a lot of change in clinical practice, a lot of things up in the air with what are the practice models of the future going to look like? Where's, where's value-based care gonna go? When is it really gonna transition? Uh, everybody's, we're talking about it a lot, uh, but, it's, but the large health systems, uh, you know, I would argue are still not quite there. Um, and, and what's our role? You know, I think in physical therapy, we've envisioned this role of this lifespan practitioner that can be much more involved in prevention and, and someone's overall health as it relates to movement. And so how do we build a curriculum that gets us there? And what comes first? So one of the, one of the concerns uh, that I hear sometimes is, well, what if there's not this practice model already if we want to focus on prevention? And my first thought is always, well, what about when we didn't have direct access, but we decided it was important that we could be an entry point to the system? We started in our programs and we started developing a new professional that could take on these new roles. And so we built this vision around that, not to mention the changes in higher education. There's cost issues in higher education at the societal level, which create debt issues. There's also huge demographic shifts in our country on not only where people live, but how many people there are at the traditional age of where people might go to college and then decide to go on to professional school. So all those things play into who is gonna be our future workforce? Where do they come from? What do they look like? What are their backgrounds? And then what are they going to be doing that most gets at these big needs of society, which I think are around movement or lack thereof, and how much that could improve people's health, prevent disease, and reduce costs to our healthcare system. Yeah, probably. So that's a, you know, a sort of a quick, I guess, summary of the vision and how this came about. And then, uh, we're involving um, lots of different people in this process. So obviously the faculty uh, are involved and our whole program is involved. We have a large clinical practice division and Gammon might have more to say about the other divisions, but uh, everybody's a part of this. Uh, our faculty, our clinicians, our staff, and uh, one of the most important groups are our learners for all the students involved in the curriculum. Um, and then our alumni, and we've, <clears throat> we've started, we've done some focus groups with alumni and we'll continue to do uh, some of those things. And then some of our expert clinicians that are involved are our alumni as well. 
So actually one of the first activities we did was have a student retreat right after we launched the vision and sort of the explanation of what we were doing. The next thing that happened was a student retreat that the faculty did not participate in. I did give them some guiding questions, sort of some things I wanted to know, that, uh, how they thought. Um, and then that was used for our first retreat so that we were taking that learner input from the start. Yeah, I think that you make a good point on population health. I mean, if you look at where APTA wants to go to the American Physical Therapy Association, that's kind of where they're pointing as well. And healthcare in general needs to move towards that population health model. Gammon, you had mentioned when you were talking about becoming a program director, one of the things you've really learned to appreciate is looking across all levels of stakeholders in making decisions for the program. So I'm hoping that you can maybe speak a little bit more on the stakeholders uh, question. Steve did a good job kind of looking at the local stakeholders within the program. Obviously, a change like this needs support from university leadership, from you as program director. What are some of the challenges and the discussions that you had to have with some of these higher levels of leadership to kind of make this happen? I actually think that our timing is perfect within the university setting. So we are in tandem in our curriculum renewal with the MD curriculum, which is also undergoing renewal and moving toward a competency-based framework here within the School of Medicine where we sit. So there's a great understanding among higher level administration of what competency-based education is and why we think that it's the, the wave of the future and an important step for us to take now. And Steve has done a masterful job of creating a network of folks, not just within PT, but within the Office of Medical Education more globally with the teaching center here on campus and with uh, people in the community to really bring people along and help to inform our process and make sure that we are connecting it to what's going on more broadly. So I think that that, that timing and those connections have been critical to engender the support that's needed for this um, at the higher levels of administration. And then of course there are, you know, national level activities going on related to this and certainly, you know, keeping an eye on those and making sure that we can align when possible, but not waiting around for, you know, somebody to, to move a step in one direction or another, but really trying to, to move this forward here and then certainly being interested in sharing what we're doing and getting the word out and collaborating with others within the profession as a priority. It sounds like you guys have gotten a lot of support at all levels, you know, not just from the learners within the classroom, but also from some of these higher level university leaders that basically, you know, if, if they say no, it's hard to implement some of those changes. So that sounds, I mean, it sounds like overall it's been a smooth trans, going to be a smooth transition for you. Um, you had talked about what WashU's curriculum is like now, kind of what the competency-based learning is going to look like um, as you continue to bring it out. Um, what are some other, uh, are there any other types of competency-based curriculum models being used across 
uh, physical therapy or even in other health professions. You had mentioned that your, the MD program at WashU is transitioning to this. Um, I'm wondering if you guys can speak to any of that. I'm not aware of, so I mean, the, we're, we're discussing this a lot in physical therapy education right now. Um, and you're aware of the work from ELP and I'm sure we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. So I think there's a lot of work going on in physical therapy right now related to this. Um, who's actually doing it now in physical therapy? I'm not, I'm not aware of someone. I, I should say that I think people might have different opinions about what their program is doing depending on how they view the definition that we discussed earlier. So because of the outcomes-based approach, I think a lot of programs will feel familiarity with the competency-based education model. I do think the shift in the learner environment, particularly around, and, and I think this will come up later, so I don't wanna not answer your question, but particularly around assessment and how we view learning, um, I would say that this is not happening really in physical therapy education that much right now. There are other professions doing it. Um, medicine is doing it and they're, they're sort of different levels of it. So as you know, um, they, they also have residency and fellowship and this model uh, is happening more in those areas, I think you could say. Um, and it's sort of been shifting down into UME or the undergraduate medical education curriculum. Um, and so there are a number of programs doing competency-based education now, um, and a number transitioning into competency-based education. There are some chiropractic programs also uh, that have published in this area. And then um, I'm sure that there are some other health professions using this model, uh, although I think it's safe to say it would look different. People, one version of competency-based education is to allow test out which is not something that we're looking at and not something that I think the profession is looking at when they think of competency-based education. I only mention that because it really depends on how you interpret the definition on whether you decide you're doing it or not. Not unlike many other curricular models. There tends to be a lot of hybrid uh, structures. You could argue that some of the transitional DPTs took a competency-based approach and allowed test out because they a number of them provided credit for work or, or experience or other education already completed i think that uh you know going off of what you said about the educational leadership part partnership i mean they are working on recommendations and research for competency-based learning and since you brought it up um, tell us uh, do you know anything about the work that they're performing and if you do Tell us a little bit about it and when this and, and how you think overall it's going to affect the DPT programs as a whole. Well, um, I think the, the ELP has been very open and, and has provided a lot of updates on their work. And I've been lucky, I guess, to be at a lot of the meetings where those occur. And so um, I think they're doing a lot they're taking a very broad approach. Um, and what I mean by that is they're not just focusing on a curricular model per se, they're focusing on the overall structure 
of DPT education. They're looking at the resource needs. They're looking at technology needs and how we can build continuity across the sort of the lifespan, if you will, of a learner. And so um, I find it very exciting and I find it to be one of the most comprehensive efforts that have brought together all of the important stakeholders to really cause a transformational change. And you may have, if you've seen some of their updates, you can see right away too how they've put clinical education sort of, it's not this, it's not its own discussion, it's part of everything, which I think is one of the, one of the reasons why I expect their work to be more transformative and to cause more change. Um, so they're very open, we get updates all the time and they're working towards um, a framework, uh, at least my understanding is they're working towards a competency framework uh, that also includes um, entrustment or the use of entrustable professional activities. And that fits with the, the framework we're developing. So I'm excited about that. One of the, actually one of my concerns early on was we really wanted to move on this. Uh, we think it's necessary now, um, but we don't want to be out of alignment with ELP and APTA. So I follow as close as I can to get their updates and, to, and I'm always trying to check to make sure are we lining up um, with what they're doing. And um, in the beginning, you can imagine this would cause some angst, right? We don't want to do something that then is different uh, than what ELP or APTA might come up with. And then I realized I, I, think, I think the most important thing is getting the faculty together around this shared understanding of what we want to do. So sort of philosophically, why do we want this? Uh, and then everything else, you know, if we have different domains that get developed from ABPTRFE or uh, APTA, we can align those. Those are, to me, those are easier changes over time. It's getting the profession together around this philosophical approach. And we can't wait on that because it takes a lot of conversation uh, to get everybody going in the same direction. Is there anything you want to add to that at all, Gammon? Speaking from a program director's perspective? I think Steve has pretty much covered it. I think, you know, definitely staying abreast of what ELP is doing and, you know, keeping those lines of communication open is important. Um, but we did feel this sort of sense of urgency that we were ready to, to move ahead. So that's what we're doing. Well, and Washington University has a long tradition of kind of leading some of these changes that happen in the physical therapy world. So, I mean, it seems appropriate that you guys have jumped on this course as quickly as you have. What is the current evidence for competency-based curriculum in healthcare education? I mean, I know it's, I, Steve, you had said it's not really a new thing. Like, it's been around for a long time. But, you know, one of the challenges that we've been talking about today is how, how much research is actually going into education. You know, most, that's not a very common area of research in healthcare at this time. So are there other health professions that have implemented it better than others? Um, what is the research behind this? I think if you read the literature, a lot of it is process oriented and descriptions of how to do it. Um, or it's sort of, here's what we did and here's what it looks like. Um, 
and there are there's some that sort of then compare outcomes, but the outcomes are um, how would you say this? I mean, they're sort of like ours now. So the outcomes are things that the the differences are so small already that it's difficult to tell if if that's the outcome you should be looking at. Licensure pass rate. Well, if that's our measurement for okay, this curriculum compared to that one, is there a difference? You're probably not going to find much difference. Um, so you can look at other things. Uh, one of the one of the things I would say is related to competency-based education, but not 100%, is the shift towards the learner-centered environment and the way you approach assessment um, as more of a for-learning activity where the learners, the learner and the faculty are a bit more on the same level in, in their development. Uh, specific things you would read about in the literature might be like pass-fail curriculums. Um, tend to reduce stress of the learner, improve their um, sort of feeling about the process, um, hopefully deepen learning, but again, the outcome tools that they're using are these standardized exam scores or sort of completion of a program, which uh, those numbers are already really high. And so I suppose you could say that at least there's evidence in, for the ones that are doing this that they all of a sudden didn't lose a bunch of people uh, or cause a bunch of negative outcomes. But I don't know that you could argue that uh, one model or, or one approach has created superior outcomes with the metrics we're used to looking at. I think the long-term metrics we haven't and this kind of relates to one of your other things that I, that I probably didn't say enough about when you were talking about communication and who to involve in the process. We probably need to do much more of disseminating and sharing what we're doing in, edu in DBT education. And so not just trying these things and then saying, here's what we did, but as we develop any of these things, developing them in a scholarly way so that they're actually contributing to answering questions in education. And so we will disseminate along the way. Um, we've put our, our, our domains of competence are, uh, we've been, they've been submitted. I don't know what'll happen with those, if we'll get to disseminate those soon or not. Um, and then there's another manuscript that sort of describes the beginning of this process. And we have some pilot projects going related to some of the changes you might see in a competency-based learner-centered environment around assessment. And we should disseminate those things. And I think that we should also disseminate the things that don't work. Uh, because then answering this question about evidence will get easier and easier. Right now, it's kind of hard to answer beyond process. Well, you are on a podcast, Steve. Would you like to disseminate any of that information right now? <laughs> well, uh, like I said, we, you know, one of the things that was different between us and medicine was we, we wanted to move to this. Our profession didn't have domains of competence uh, or agreed upon competencies or entrustable professional activities. And so we're, we're writing those for our program. Uh, the domains are done. And we submitted those, um, I think it was for next. Uh, so 
hopefully we'll get to come talk about those at next. Um, and then hopefully those will become a, a, a paper once the competencies are done. So what are the domains that you guys, um, that you guys are looking at right now? Our domains, I don't have them in front of me. Our domains are patient client care, knowledge for practice, um, interpersonal communication, uh, professionalism, practice-based learning and improvement, systems-based practice, interprofessional collaboration, and personal and professional development. Access to healthcare is one of the largest issues facing both providers and patients, as millions of people worldwide lack timely and affordable access to healthcare. Anywhere Healthcare, a telehealth platform, is a simple, low-cost option for providers and patients that eliminates the barriers to access to all kinds of healthcare. To find out more, check out anywhere.healthcare, which is available on our show notes. And if you use the code HET in all caps when you email to sign up, you'll save 25% off the total cost. Thank you for attending class today, and we hope that you learned something and gained value from the content. If you'd like to schedule office hours with us, feel free to add us on Twitter at HET Podcast, on Instagram, HET Podcast, on Facebook, the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast, and the homepage, healthcareeducationtransformationpodcast.com. And for those of you following along in the syllabus, extra credit can be obtained by liking us, sharing us, and leaving a review. Let's continue our journey up Mount Educational Success as lifelong learners.